In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus, Word of God, reveal more of yourself to us through your presence in the Bible. Led by the Holy Spirit, guide our time of reflection. May it increase our desire for you in the Scripture and in the Sacrament. Amen. Jesus ben Sira was a wise teacher, poet, and scholar who lived in Jerusalem sometime around 180 BC. The book which bears his name, the Book of Sirach, is a large 51-chapter compilation of his teachings. Think of it like Ben Sira's TED Talks. In the TED Talk from Ben Sira, which we have as our first reading, he's speaking of how God has a heart for the humble. He's a God of justice, yet he hears the cry of the oppressed. The prayer of the lowly pierces the clouds. It does not rest till it reaches its goal. That's all we'll say about our first reading, because we've got a bunch to get to with our second reading. We have some of the closing verses of St. Paul's second letter to Timothy. As we've been saying for several weeks, this letter is like Paul's last will and testament. And the excerpt at Mass begins with Paul saying that I am already being poured out like a libation. Greeks and Romans were both accustomed to pour out either wine or water in sacrifice to gods. At first, it was only done at important sites and on special occasions, but over time, it became very common. The Hebrew people, too, had a similar idea of pouring something out when the blood of the sacrificial lamb was sprinkled on the altar and upon the earth each year during the Day of Atonement and during Passover. And we still even have a remnant of this ancient practice today, when you hear someone jokingly pour one out for the homies. In all of it, Paul is saying that he's spent, and he's given just about every drop of his life he has to give, just like a libation offering. In the next line, Paul says that the time of his departure is at hand. The word he uses for departure is analuseos, from where we get the word analysis today in English. The word actually means to loosen or untie, and it was mostly used in the context of untying a ship's rope as it took off for sea. Yet in Paul's day, the word had become a euphemism for death, sort of like kick the bucket today. Although Paul may not have meant it as so, the imagery here of a ship being untied to go out to sea is quite beautiful as Paul readies himself to set sail into eternity. In eternity, Paul says that he looks forward to the crown of righteousness, or more literally, the wreath of righteousness, which awaits him. The Greek people loved athletics, so the analogy of competing for a wreath would have resonated with them. Wreaths back then were the equivalent today of trophies and medals. Champions were given wreaths. And the makeup of the wreath actually depended upon where the athlete was victorious. For example, olive wreaths were dispersed at the games in Olympia. Laurel wreaths for the games at Delphi, and if you can believe it, celery wreaths were dished out for the games in Corinth. Yet Paul is saying that the wreath he looks forward to is receiving that of righteousness, which the Lord, the just judge, will award to him on that day, and not only to him, but to all who have longed for his appearance. Rounding out our look at this dense second reading, Paul says that he was rescued from the lion's mouth. Although some scholars attempt to, We can take Paul literally here, because after all, there's no historical record of Christians being thrown to lions in the first century. Josephus, the ancient Jewish historian, is on record as referring to Nero as a lion, and thus Paul might be referring to Nero in this way. Other scholars believe that Paul may have already once been on trial but was saved from execution, and thus was rescued from the lion's mouth. But much more broadly, we can understand the lion as indicative of death which Paul has been rescued from, up until the execution he now awaits. Two people go up to the temple to pray in our gospel this weekend. It's a parable, Jesus tells, involving a Pharisee and a tax collector. 
And although the Pharisee's prayer starts well with, Oh God, I thank you, from there it devolves into comparison of himself to others. He reminds God of two things to demonstrate his own superior righteousness. He fasts twice a week, and he pays tithes on his whole income. Let's look at both. You may have heard before that all Pharisees fasted twice a week on Mondays and Thursdays. This is incorrect and is drawn from an excerpt in an ancient Christian writing called the Didache. There's a reference there of how the hypocrites fast on Monday and Thursday. But the Law of Moses only asked for one fast day per year on the Day of Atonement. Over time, however, certain Jewish people began to expand that. People who wanted to go above and beyond, like doing all of the extra credit on your math homework. That's what the Pharisee is boasting of, together with paying tithes on his whole income. Some goods were not expected to be tithed. For example, in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus excoriates the Pharisees for paying tithes on mint and dill and cumin, but neglecting the weightier things of the law. Jesus is saying they were tithing their kitchen herbs. It'd be like finding a dime on the supermarket floor, but then immediately thinking, oh, wait, I need to give a penny of this to charity. In contrast to the Pharisees' poor prayer, the tax collector's prayer is only a total of six words in Greek. And while our translation at Mass reads, O God, be merciful to me, a sinner, the tax collector actually refers to himself as the sinner. He's exactly the sinner the Pharisee believes himself not to be. And Jesus says that the tax collector is the one who goes home justified in the end. So that's it. That's your Sunday setup for this 30th Sunday in Ordinary Time in Year C. May this knowledge of the story behind the scripture allow you to encounter Jesus Christ in a new way this weekend. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.